On today's show, here's why the Cleveland Cavaliers have wanted George Niang for a while now. We're going to explain that and more about the Cavs' recent free agent moves on today's show. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, where first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. The promo code is locked on. I'm Chris Manning. I cover the Cavs and the NBA for outlets like SB Nation, Cleveland Magazine, and the Just Basketball Show. That man over there is Evan Damerell, the founder of the proprietor of Write Down Euclid. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing. I want to thank you for making Locked On Cavs your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Evan George Nang, let's dive into it. Three years, all guaranteed, $8.66 million on average, $8.2 million in the first year, ages 30 to 32. I saw some confusion, uh, kind of mostly amongst Brown's Twitter people, uh, which is very funny, uh, about this contract structure. This is using part of the middle-level exception, so they do have some of it left if they wanted to use it. Evan, what do you think of, of George Zang, most recently of the Philadelphia 76ers? So on paper, George Niang um, makes a lot of sense just in terms of his volume as a shooter. As you noted, he's a mid-level exception signing, but I'll be frank, I didn't watch a ton of Sixers basketball, obviously whenever they play the Cavs, or maybe when I had some free time to watch them on TV, I checked them out. And I just asked a friend of the program, Jordan Christmas, who knows the Sixers quite better than I do. Uh, What are his feelings? And after he woke up from his nap, he uh, texted me that uh, Niang is a great shooter that will let that thing fly. You only want him attacking a closeout with two dribbles at max. Two, you'll see why he deserved the minivan nickname because he is a little slow. Three, he's a 3-4 but may not close lineups because he's not that great defensively. And most importantly, he's a dude who is also willing to kind of just make those grind out hustle plays and just maybe do some of the dirty work that some other players don't do. And he's also fine at talking trash to opposing benches. But for me, Yang, just like on paper, the appeal is, is he's a dude who's just, as Jordan said, is not afraid to shoot it. Like I was very surprised to see, like just based on his averages last season, he attempted seven three pointers per game, which is pretty, uh, sorry, no, 4.9 three pointers per game, which is still quite a bit. Um, I was thinking of Max Struss. Um, that's that's a lot. And I think just as like a stretcher four, he could be a lot of fun next to Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. So he he like Max Struess is a very high volume three point shooter. Uh near the top of the position every of his career. Again, this felt very intentional to me. I think they targeted guys that take threes and love to let him let it fly and love to just bomb away from outside. They they needed guys like that. They clearly targeted guys like that. And the Cavs have had interest in Yang for a while now. So I like they wanted him at the deadline. They offered mm-hmm. some picks. Philly wasn't selling. They get him on the open market now. And we should note that the sign and trade that you do with Struess, who might have been a mid-level target, this allows you to get both of them. And I think you're a better team for getting both of them. You know, cost be darn. Um, 40% of th- for three every year's crew, but one was at 39 the one year he didn't hit 40%. This is like a really, really good shooter who's bigger, uh, played with Donovan Mitchell as well, which I, I think is 
I think like there will be some natural chemistry there. It has some mm-hmm. Utah familiarity with with Mitchell. This just has like a shooting as like a size thing as a bigger shooter. I think just makes all the sense in the world. And it's you didn't blow like the full mid level. Like you, theoretically, you have a little bit left to use if you want to. This is this was like a relatively good bit of business for me. Even if they got you know he's thirty thirty two. Is there a a bigger defensive decline coming? That that's tricky. I am curious to see what kind of comes comes out of this. So, as I had noted on Monday's show, Kobe Altman made it pretty clear that the Cavs were going to prioritize shooting um, this offseason, especially just maybe they're not needle movers, but like, at least in my eyes on paper, uh, Strauss and Niang are guys that will move the needle in terms of just three-point volume. Um, when the Niang signing became somewhat official i mean it's not official until july 6 of course team wise but like it, it's heavily reported um i dove into the numbers a little bit like in terms of just a amount of attempts and volume of three-point shots niang would have jumped up to third on the list for the Cavs if he was playing for cleveland last season and he took the same amount of attempts that he did with philly so again like the addition of niang and stress are going to just add extra perimeter scoring threats like you had noted like he's not in the peak prime of his career like age-wise but he provides you something that you clearly need he's a guy who's also more bombs away from three but also we can think about the jetty osmond aspect here he's a little bit more consistent at least in that regard the other thing that i would say about this that i think is interesting to me is i curse what position he plays at and how he does kind of look defensively in a different context I know he's not like a going to be a lockdown defender for you, but he's six 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 seven two thirty. You can like work with that positionally. Like he's like got a he's like he's a big boy, and like that can work for you if you use it correctly. He's a light rebounder as well, which is like a little concerning for a guy that's going to play some four. There's a lot. This is a whole episode I think we can do, but there's a lot of what Cleveland has done that I think it's signaling. Hey, we're we're banking on Evan Mobley's growth and and him ascending in a different way. Um, but I'm I'm curious to see if they play him more at the three than he did in Philly, just based on the roster. So last year, played 3,006 possessions for the 76ers. The most common lineup with him at as a as a small forward was accounted for 44 of those possessions. That's minuscule. This is like a guy who mostly played the four. Cleveland has it because of its roster has leaned into big ball at times. So do it some. Do we see at times them try to go Niang and Mobley? Allen and just put the shooting on the floor. Mobley covers for him. Maybe play zone in those instances with Mobley. Like I'm curious to see if they try to shoehorn him in and his shooting in, if in moments when Struess isn't out there, or or just to to put shooting next to your two bigs. I'm curious to see like how that works for him, and I'm curious to see what that means for for Dean Wade's minutes in the rotation as well. So, to the Dean Wade point first, I think Wade is your fourth power forward in terms of just like rotational stuff like yeah your fourth he's your fourth big fourth big um like niang is maybe fifth just because of how you feel about damian jones too in terms of wade but niang for me at least just provides you three-point shooting i think you roll with it because he's your new shiny toy and you see how it functions and just work on the next steps from there and to your point like the defensive issues and concerns are definitely there but if you do like slot him in as like a big boy three and you put him next to mobley and allen like it's not apples to apples but you do have a lot of history uh defending for a guy who maybe isn't a natural three and maybe isn't the best defensively at the three spot 
but is still covered by Mobileen Allen and in turn provides you that spacing and perimeter threat that you I'm talking about Larry Marketing. Um you lost when you lost with Mark you traded marketing to get Mitchell, so it's not the same thing because I think marketing is just very much up here compared to Niang, but it's a pretty good upgrade and again gives you a lot of roster fluidity and creativity because you and I talked about this a lot. Like the Cavs were able to kind of get like a bigger three-four type player in free agency, and they did. Like that—that's a box they can tick because that's a dude that they can do a lot of creative things with, and just in terms of like offense and covering for him on defense at times. All right, after the break, let's dive into what the Cavs are losing. They traded away Jetty Osmond and Lamar Stevens as part of the Max Drew sign and trade. What are the Cavs losing, if anything, of significance in that deal? We'll talk about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Remember, first-time users over there can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with our promo code locked on. All you got to do to play is pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projections, you win. You can up to 10 times your money on any entry. So don't compete against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NBA, the NFL. PGA, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, MMA, boxing, disc golf, cricket, ashes are going over now, and much, much more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy, safe, and fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. You can download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. So again, if you deposit 100, prize picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. Don't forget to enter that promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Every day, as we're going to be back tomorrow, we're going to start making lineups. It's going to be a good time. A lot of new roster faces. We're going to dive into how they might fit, what that looks like. Evan, I'm going to look at... I look at the Osmond and Stevens stuff through a very financial lens. Because you had to move Jetty. Like, Jetty and Lamar, if you'd kept them on the roster in some way, would have put you in the luxury tax. They don't want to be in the luxury tax. So you weren't just going to be able to like keep Osmond and do that. Now, if you want to argue they should be the luxury tax, go ahead and do it. I don't think this is the time you dive into that. It triggers all kinds of things. You really want your luxury tax years to be when you're like bona fide, right on the doorstep of title contention. I think this, we all would agree that they're not exactly bona fide there. They haven't proven that based on the playoffs last year. And with Lamar, Stevens was good depth, but I, based on the moves they've made, he was clearly not going to be in the rotation. And I think when you take his $1.93 million for next year and you carve that off of the salary cap books, you just have a little more wiggle room to work with financially. Uh, we, can, we should talk about the basketball side of it, but that's why they did this. They didn't do this because they don't think these guys are good or they don't like them or they don't value them or the, the, they're whatever you want to say. I think this, this really just starts to stem from the financial point of it and just trying to create as much room as possible for the roster you have and to, to make this make financial sense as well. So the Osmond aspect of it is interesting. Um, I was a little surprised that they maybe weren't able to facilitate a trade and just be before his contract became fully guaranteed. And then Woj, I believe, just kind of came out of left field and just like, hey, 
the Cavs are guaranteeing a salary. So I'm like, okay, you lose a little bit of that luxury that could be the linchpin of a trade where a team could acquire Jetty Osmond, wave him, and it's it's no harm, no foul. The Cavs absorb six point seven million. I think that's why you look at a lot of like um Nasir Little with the Blazers and what they're trying to do, but Oh, poor Portland. Um, they have Scoot. It, they're going to be fine. Scoot and Shaden is a really good foundation to build off of, but whew, just, you know, Dame did him dirty, as I said. Uh, but also, the Blazers did Dame dirty for a while, okay. too. But I, check I, out Lockdown Blazers. Not, yeah, yeah, check out Lockdown Blazers with um, those guys. But it's... Mike Richmond. Yeah. Mike Richmond, thank you. Um, Just the Osmond thing was interesting. I think them using him as a trade ship works uh to your point like the stevens thing especially with the upgrades they made whether it was just niang by itself you're like okay <laughs> he has a place in the rotation over stevens because i know people like the dog isaac okoro for the lack of shooting but like lamar stevens was less of a shooting threat than isaac okoro last season so uh, best of luck to him i i wonder what the Cavs, if the maybe there's like a ripple effect culture, not culturally, but like chemistry wise for this locker room, just because Lamar was kind of like that catalyst that everyone gra- gravitated to, especially during this rebuild. But again, we had this conversation when Max, we were talking about Max Truss more in depth in the trade itself. Like you have to make these uncomfy sacrifices if you want to make tangible upgrades to a team that has legitimate potential to make a run in the playoffs. And I'm not saying championship, like I'm going to be realistic here, but like they, they could definitely make some more noise just with the moves they made within the margins to upgrade what they've built in terms of just a top heavy team what i think they lose from a basketball sense with with osmond i don't think is significant you got max Struess. max Struess is a better defender he's a better shooter he's more dependable he's played in bigger games he's he's a better player they got a guy who they're. I think will they should they should trust. And if if at a certain point if JB Bickerstaff doesn't trust Max Struess, then like I th- I think that's like a whole other conversation. Struess has been trusted by Eric freaking Spolster in the Miami Heat, who've made two finals in four years. This is a the, the best, best coach in basketball. <laughs> yeah, the the best coach in basketball trusts this guy. He's going to be trusted. He's going to be empowered. I think he's going to start at the three. There's not going to be swaps of time where Jetty's like. In the you know in the era, Struess is like in the doghouse for two weeks and you're and he's not playing for whatever reason because of defensive effort. That's not going to happen here. With Stevens, like I think you do lose some toughness. You lose a locker room guy. You lose a, a guy who will rebound and, and bang and, and do some of that stuff. But I think like it wasn't essential last year. And I like Lamar, but it wasn't going to be essential this year either. Like I think. Like, I don't think this is anything they can't just, like, they're not going to be fine figuring out, right? Like, there's nothing here that isn't just going to kind of work itself out, I think, ultimately. Yeah. um, These are the sacrifices you have to make from a basketball standpoint, because I I guess I focused on the trade aspect of it. Yeah, stress, we, we, we hammered this home in Monday's episode, like... Max Struss is just a clear upgrade over Jetty Osmond. I know you can break down, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, numbers and stuff like that, but I have more faith in Max Struss as a player on either of the four than I do Jetty Osmond. That's just Jetty Osmond, the, play- the player. Like, Jetty Osmond, the person, I like quite a bit, but that's neither here nor there. Like, you have to make these tough decisions to make your team better. But um, it's just tough. Like, if Lamar Stevens somehow came out this upcoming season as, a, like, a, a very consistent three-point threat for, if like, let's say he sticks to San Antonio, he becomes, like, a consistent three-point threat. Like, maybe there's a little bit of buyer's remorse there, but 
just on paper heading into this offseason and based on what we know George Niang was a huge upgrade over just like Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade at this point frankly and then you look at uh, Max Truss like he is the best shooter on the market you have to make a sacrifice and you kind of not kind of you do uh, move on from one of your more inconsistent players who People were like, oh my god, why didn't they waive Chetty Osmond because his money became guaranteed? <laughs> the Cavs were so strapped up financially that it would have made no difference if they waived him, so he was a trade chip at that point. Either you keep him, or you trade him. And the Cavs found a way to trade him, and let's say like a stress moved in materialized, you at least still have Osmond in your back pocket, either as the trade chip, or he's a dude who is on the back end of your rotation heading into this upcoming season. Yeah, look, if they had not gotten Struess, you could have seen Osmond, you, you run it back... You figure it out. You look for an upgrade. Yeah. A year from now, that's not where this ended up, and I I think they're they're better off for it. Like end of the day, it's a better team. This is a better basketball team today than it was before July first. Struce and Niang Much. and and Ty. We'll talk about Ty Jerome and Damian Jones on the fringes, but they got two rotation guys, and the two guys that have gone out so far were fringe rotation guys last year. Osmond a little more featured, but two guys that. You know, there there was clearly a limit on what they're going to provide you. All right, after this, we'll talk about Ty Jerome. We'll talk about Damian Jones. All right, uh, let's five minutes here on Ty Jerome or so. Evan, he's a different profile of backup guard than Cleveland has had. You know, he's not mm-hmm. a one to one Hal Neto, Hal Tony Neto, excuse me, replacement. Um, He's bigger, 6'5", has a good assist-to-turnover ratio, decent three-point volume, good enough three-point shooter. This, to me, felt, feels like a guard that if you needed to, if you wanted to, he could play with like a Garland or a Mitchell, and they handle the ball, maybe do more of the traditional point guard stuff, especially in Garland's case, obviously. But it's not just a guy that is there to be a game manager and do, and do some of that work. So Tyjerome is interesting to me because... <laughs> We talked about this in between episodes. I may have noted it in Monday's show as well. Like, I think he's a dude who could be your ninth, tenth man in the rotation heading into this season, just because if you look at Karis LeVert and how he functions as like a primary ball handler with bench units, and he's much more comfortable attacking the basket and being a guy who's a bit more of a slasher, sure, there's the shooting aspect to him as well. And him kind of finding his way off ball when he's playing with like Mitchell or Garland or both of those guys. But like, you look at Ty Jerome, like, He's a dude who could just act as a guy who floats on the perimeter and benefits from a lot of players that like like to attack the basket and slash and just be a dude who can provide you just like that three point shot on a um like a like a driving kick situation and like that that makes a lot of sense and it's interesting to see where he will fit in within like the general calculus of things like he's not a great great defender he's technically a two guard but he has played some points as well i think he's comfortable at least passing and moving the rock and making basic passes so that that's a benefit and what i'm trying to get at is is like i would play him over ricky rubio right now because you have two ball dominant guards in garland and mitchell you have levert who is clearly a part of your rotation you need a dude who is clearly comfortable with the ball in his hands and more than anything has a consistent three-point shot uh, like Jerome, at least compared to Ricky Rubio. It's an interesting question. If Rubio is the guy that he was last year and like it's just done for him, then that that's a more compelling argument to me. If if Rubio plays better, if Rubio is like right this fall, mm-hmm. he will be a bigger defender at the point of attack in a way that Jerome just isn't. Jerome is gonna would get attacked and picked on, oh, yeah. and he just doesn't. He's not gonna hold up in that way. 
Rubio, if he is if he's right and can move, is a different like level of player, is a different level of defender, and I think I would still lean in the the Rubio direction. But if he's not right and he's not good, then it, this gets into a place where maybe you do play Ty Jerome. And it's worth noting, um, Mark Stein had this in his, on his Substack that Jerome has and Cavs present basketball operations Kobe Altman have known each other for like ten years. Jerome's like been a favorite of Altman. Uh, and if people don't know, he was on the Warriors last year on a, on a two-way deal. Cleveland offered him like just enough so the Warriors like couldn't match it, which was just like a sh- little shrewd bit of business by by the Cavs. He also, people might remember, is one of the guys that shredded the Cavs when the Warriors came in, didn't play anybody, and beat the Cavs in Cleveland when they were playing everybody. One of the most pathetic basketball games I've ever seen the Cleveland Cavaliers play, and that's... I've been watching this team for a very long time, and I'm just like, holy cow, they actually laid down and let Ty Jerome do this. Yeah, that was uh, a weird one. So Jerome's fine. I think he's interesting. Worth a flyer, two-year, $5 million deal. That's like, that's like pocket change in terms of the NBA salary cap. So, so to flip to Damian Jones, mm-hmm. more athletic choice to play the five than Robin Lopez. He has a higher foul rate uh, if you look at Clean of the Glass at Cleveland's other centers, which is just a different profile than, they've kinda, than they went at last summer. But he can catch lobs. He's really athletic, and he does block shots. He's a solid enough rebounder last few years, too. Evan, as far as like a backup center goes, without you know trading for someone, using your exceptions to sign someone at a higher cost, just getting trading for a guy like this and not giving up any players, and like I haven't even seen like what the I seems like they might have just absorb straight him. up. According to Woj, it's just straight up like absorption. Like the Cavs are they just absorbing to, him into his payroll. <laughs> into their yes, payroll. like I'm, like so they have this Ochai Abaji uh, trade exception that, that they obviously got it. from the Mitchell trade. I wonder if he just got absorbed into that, but like no one has like reported or said I haven't gotten a good answer on it. I wonder if that's no. just it though. Um, yeah, it's interesting. He's he's he's, he's like a good enough lob catching option for you if you want a backup center. Yeah, and it's interesting because I know he's a guy that Cavs kind of had a pin in leading up to the trade deadline last year when he was with the Lakers. He ultimately ended up with the Jazz. But to your point, like he is 28 years old. Robin Lopez is 35 currently. Robin Lopez is going to be 36 at some point this season too. Like you have a younger option as the backup center but it's not like you're like throwing an 18 year old or a guy like Khalif Hashiab out there who may or at least in Kobe Altman's eyes isn't quite NBA ready so Jones to me is like that dude who could be like your 10th 11th guy he's a guy who is your we, we talked about like the, the the fourth big and that's Dean Wade like maybe Damian Jones makes enough of a case just because he's a dude who can as you said he's foul prone but like if you're playing a team like Milwaukee or Philadelphia, because uh, at least Joel Embiid will still be there after the Sixers kind of figure out their next steps, or just even like Bam Adebayo with the Heat, or what the Pacers are doing with Miles Turner. Like Damian Jones is a dude who can at least absorb some fouls for you to alleviate the pressure and have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley either be fresh or available for closing moments of game, whether it's the postseason or just a regular season game as well. Like Jones doesn't have to be the dude who is giving you consistent minute-on-minute stuff. And um, like we talked about this when, at the season's end, and I talked about how the Cavs just kind of need to get younger on the margins. Like, Jones is a guy, to me, in my eyes, that and ties Jerome as well. Like, you're getting younger-ish players that have NBA experience but, like, aren't as old and maybe kind of just give you a little bit more luxury on the margins and at the depth positions so you can kind of get a little bit more creative rotation-wise. So if you run into a team like the Knicks who have 
overwhelming depth, at least comparatively what the Cavs had last postseason. Um, you have at least a little bit more versatility and fluidity versus only having five, maybe six viable players, depending on what Isaac Okori you're going to get. So like, it just gives the Cavs more depth, and that, that's a good thing in my eyes. Yeah, I, I like this as a as a backup center option. I, I think Lopez was fine like as a vibes guy, but like clearly wasn't exactly what they need. And look, Jones is going to make some mistakes, and all these guys they've gotten are not going to be perfect for you, but I, it, it works well enough. Uh, I've been on this. Just is there is there any? I don't want to say specific names, but is there like a, a archetype of player that you would want Cleveland if you were offering input? into them grabbing before free agency ends before like the before like they round out this roster 13 spots two spots open don't know if they'll fill both of them based on the pricing and their their three point something under luxury tax line but what kind mm-hmm. of player would you want to look at if you're that so the Cavs have gotten younger as i had noted and younger and stronger and faster daft punk stuff whatever but like they could use another veteran if danny green enjoyed his time with the Cavs. And he's kind of just understanding, like, hey, you're not going to play much, but, like, you're going to be that dude who gives us, like, that veteran voice and presence within the locker room, or you can be the on-court coach or whatever. Like, maybe you take a stab at Danny Green because, like, there's at least a rotation spot at the small forward position, or, I don't know, maybe you've, if you don't feel 100% confident in Damian Jones, or you find a guy who can provide you a little bit more depth and stretchiness, maybe you get a center at that spot, but, like you said, I think the Cavs ultimately maybe sign like a veteran at the vet men and roll into the season with 14 players under contract, three guys on two-way deals, leave that last roster spot open either to guarantee one of those two-way contracts or just at least give you a little bit more work space to work with within the margins if you want to kind of upgrade the back end of your rotation some more. Yeah, Danny Green, I would I think just as a veteran leader, as a as a wing, you maybe could just have. I I if he wants to like play another year, I think that would make a ton of sense. Um, I wouldn't mind bringing back Neto as well if you wanted that kind of just manager point guard. I I think you're going for very simple stuff, and I because I it seems like where we're gonna end up is Bates, Isaiah Mobley, Craig Porter Jr. on two ways. You kind of feel like you should feel okay about your depth right now, but I think just having, if you're going to go really young on some of those, and maybe like Mobley plays at a certain point or Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. has to play in a certain instance, I think you want to at least just have maybe like one other guy on your on your main roster just to mm-hmm. just to give yourself a little more depth in case like an injury happens or someone gets sick or, or there there's a suspension or whatever. Like yeah. I think you, you use one more veteran body on the roster just to kind of to let jb bickerstaff put his head on his pillow at night and not like freak out about having to like play craig porter jr when he has never like thought about him as a guy at all so on the inverse of that also if you like just keep that last roster spot open let's say like craig porter jr for some reason so shows some juice at the nba level and you feel comfortable enough like if he's sustainable or I'm going to more so look at Isaiah Mobley here. Like, Isaiah Mobley maybe, like, just shows signs of, like, okay, he's a little too good for the G League. Let's just bring him up. Having that last roster spot open just makes it a lot more clean and a lot easier. And then if you're the Cavs, maybe, like, Pete Nance, if he shows flashes in Summer League, sticks with the team through training camp and is with the charge still, like, you sign him to a two-way deal instead. Or, like, you look at other options within that because you can kind of keep churning out that rotational talent. So I'm an advocate, at least, of, like, going in with 14 on your roster leave that last spot open either it's for a trade because you can bring in two guys if you have to somehow or just get creative with it or if a two-way guy just shows like okay he's ready for the nba like yeah just drop him right in on like a kobe altman special p dance has a very weird 
shot form. We're going to end it there. I'm Chris May. <laughs> it's, uh, that's Evan it's, yeah. it's interesting. Like, you watch him shoot. I was at Cavs practice Saturday. Yeah, it's Sunday. So, Saturday. This weekend's been such a blur for me. But, um, and I was watching him shoot. I'm like, it's not going to go in. And then it, it went in. I'm like, huh. Just like watching it go over and over again. So. Yeah. All right. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Darrell. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing Back at You after the holiday. Happy Fourth, everyone. If you're in America, enjoy your day off. If you're not, um, have fun at work, I guess. Talk to you soon.